0: Well, so we're in this uh, series called Counterfeit, and uh, this morning we're going to address a commonly known uh, adage, God helps those who help themselves, with a question mark after it. God helps those, Does God help those who help themselves? Where does this come from? You know, uh, I think if you asked most people on the street, most people would tell you that that is a phrase that comes from the Bible. And maybe you all are wondering, well, is, is it not? I mean, I've always heard that. God helps those who help themselves, right? I mean, I figured that was, you know, uh, ecclesiasticals, um that's not, a, that's not a book of the Bible, Chapter 5, verse 2, right? Uh, or, or some such. Um, a friend of mine one time did a cruel thing. He, he told people to turn to a chapter in the Bible that didn't exist. <laughs> the whole church was, you know, looking for it. <laughs> Pages kept going and they thought he was, you know. But a lot of people think that this phrase is in the Bible. God helps those who help them. So where does this come from? It comes from... Yeah, that's right. I heard somebody say it. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. Poor Richard's almanac. Poor Richard's almanac. But, actually, it goes back thousands of years before that. It's from one of Aesop's fables. From Hercules and the Wagoner. The Wagoner, the guy's pulling a wagon and he gets stuck into a ditch. And uh, he kneels down and prays to Hercules, help me, help me. And Hercules appears and he says... All right, man, well, get up and put your shoulder to it. <laughs> that was his help, right? And at the end, it says the moral of the story because all Aesop's fables say, you know, and the moral of the story is God helps those who help themselves. It is something that we want for people, this, this idea that people have a, a sense of character, right? That they have a get up and go, that they have drive, right? And so there is something to the character of of a person that has drive. It's what a parent wants for their children. Right? They want them to have some get up and go, but sometimes their get up and go has gotten up and went, right? You know? And 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 they wish I wish my child had the character to to do that thing without being asked or to to do that thing that they've been taught. It's it's what every employer wants for their employees. It eventually is what we want for ourselves. We want, we want to have some sense of, of purposed work, right? That, that what we're putting our hand to, the actions that, that we're about in our lives, we want them to be motivated, right? It's an issue of character. And so there is something to this, right? There's something valuable here about a person's character that has drive, it's what you think of when you're, you're stopped at a stoplight, maybe in a bigger city, and, and you see somebody with cardboard, and you, you look at that person, and you kind of assess the situation. You say, this is an able-bodied person. What, what's the deal here? What's the deal? And so when you, when you think of Aesop and you think of, of, of Benjamin Franklin... Prescribing this for our character, you think, well, what's wrong with it? What's, what's the matter with that? What, wh- why why would, would you call this into question? Why would there be a question mark at the end of this? God helps those who help themselves. And here's the reason the reason this is not a biblical concept, even though we want this kind of character for ourselves and for the people around us, is that it skips something. What does it skip? It skips something vital to character. If, if, if it were just a matter of God helping those who help themselves to build human character, to build the kind of character, then the guy uh, who recently uh, passed me in the shopping cart would have great, great character. Okay, so I'm sitting here. I have this huge, huge bag, one item, right? I've got one item, and I'm walking up. To, to, to the cash register at Lowe's, and it's just a big, big, big thing, right? I should have gotten a cart myself, right? So I'm, I'm holding this thing, and, and I'm almost to the cash register, and this guy with a, with, with, with a huge cartload of stuff comes right around me, <laughs> comes right around me and, and, and aces me out and is ahead of me in line. So I'm holding this thing and watching him go beep, 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 and I'm sitting here just going, yeah, there's character for you, right? Right? You see, the point is, a lot of times, we have no trouble helping ourselves. That guy helped himself, right? Right in front of me, in line. He helped himself. And so, we skip something. If we think, if we think that, that it's only a matter of helping ourselves, we've missed something vital. Even if you think in terms of of morality that 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 our effort must do something that our effort must count for something think of think of the 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 moral chasm that you i and I know that we have that that we 're not the people that we yet need to be, even if you think of uh, of maybe the the, the stereotypical or Or the parade example of the the best of humanity, the best of us, right? Think of that person who really represents the best of us. Maybe somebody like Mother Teresa, right? Spent her life, spent herself in the service of God for the sake of humanity. Does her effort alone, does her drive alone span the chasm? Does it span the chasm? You know, may, maybe somebody like, like me, maybe I, I jump uh, uh, across that chasm and, and maybe I only get a third of the way, uh, the way across, but somebody like Mother Teresa, her jump, she jumps maybe two-thirds of the way across, but she's still in the chasm, right? And so there's something vital that's missing by helping ourselves alone. Something missing, and that's humility. You see, we need humility and drive. Drive alone doesn't build a life, doesn't build a character that God is looking to populate eternity. You see, God is is populating eternity. People who can enter into what's called a perichoretic, a perichoretic, and that is a a, a self-effacing or deferential Relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're invited to be a part of that. He's trying to populate eternity with, with the character of people whose drive is not just for themselves. And so we cannot just simply conclude that, that character is built by drive alone. Where, where does it come from, though? This idea that, 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 that simply that, that we are building something, character, through, through our effort. Where does it come from? I, is there some biblical support? Is there some place in the Bible that is misunderstood as though we're the ones building our character? Is there a place in Scripture where, where somehow when we read it we think maybe we're responsible alone? Maybe it's our effort alone that builds our character. Well, there is a place, and it's James chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 5. I've read part of this to you already. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves. Submit yourself. Turn your joy to mourning. Even even in the idea of submission, it, it sounds a little like... It's our responsibility to draw near to God in order for us to find intimacy with him, in order for us to become more like the people and the char- have the kind of character that he would have us become. It sounds like, from the book of James, it sounds like it's on us to take the initiative, doesn't it? When you read it that way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Submit and God will be responsive to us. For this reason, Martin Luther, who is really the the, the father of the Reformation, he's one of the reasons why we're sitting here today. Martin Luther, who confronted the church about its works righteousness or the idea that we are the ones that build our character. You see, the church had drifted away from grace, had drifted away from humility, had drifted away from God's initiative with our lives to build our character. The church had drifted away from it, and so Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, and he said, I want us to have a discussion about what is truly biblical, and for that reason, when he read the book of James, this letter from James, he questioned whether or not it should be in the canon. You remember, maybe from confirmation, or maybe you've heard uh, throughout the years uh, here and there, the great solas, or... By grace alone, sola gratia, sola fides, by, through faith alone, right? Sola scriptura, on the basis and the authority of scripture alone. Sola Christos, that Christ is the sole priest. And so the Reformation lined us up again with the scriptures that said, it's, on, it's by grace we're saved through faith. Romans 5, 6, while we were yet singer, sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians Two, eight, and nine. It's by grace we're saved. Through faith. It's God's initiative. And so Luther questioned whether or not this passage I read from you ought to be read in church. And yet, look at verse five. Look what it says. Helps to be in the right chapter. Or do you suppose that It is of no purpose that the scripture says. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And so it's his initiative. Even in the call to give, like I talked about earlier, even in the call to to draw near to God, even in the call to submit to God, God is always the initiator. The one who put his spirit in us. And so it is the spirit of God that prompts us to draw near. It's the spirit of God that enables us to draw near. It's the spirit of God that works on our character as our effort strives with him. It's always God's initiative. And so two, two reasons this morning. Two reasons that we can continue To trust that grace is going to work on us, each one of us, a work in progress, right? I've said it before, I'll say it again and again. We're somewhere between zero and 100%, right? Each of us is a work in progress. Two reasons we can continue to trust that, that the grace of God is what does it. It's the grace of God that builds our character. two reasons that we can trust grace is sufficient for you. The first is that, that grace, grace gives us the humility to receive what we need to receive. Grace gives us the humility. Grace is the message that says you have a need. Grace is the message that says put yourself in the position to, to receive. Grace is a message that says you can't do it. You can't cross that chasm on your own. Grace is the message that says I have provided for you what you need. I'll give you a picture of it. When I was uh, 11 years old, maybe 12 years old, I had a dog uh, that was a, a poodle, a, a standard poodle, all right? A manly poodle, all right? <clears throat> but the dog's name was Charcoal. We called her Charcoal, Charkey. Charcoal Shendo De Shake was her full name. A little pretentious, but uh, <laughs> it was kind of my parents' joke, you know. They named her. So Charcoal Shendo is the line of poodles. And uh, and we, we lived in Shaker Heights when I was uh, really young when we first got her. So Charcoal Shendo to Shake, right? Charky. This is the dumbest dog of all time. <laughs> she had run into this pole when she was young, and, and, and she was on this really expensive uh, drug called Mylepsin that kept her from having... Uh, you know seizures. Most expensive dog. The dumbest dog of all time. And my brother and I used to go exploring out in a place where we had a lake cabin. It was a an old old farm, old plantation, in on the border of North Carolina and Virginia. And we discovered an old well, an antebellum well. It was huge. It was hand dug. Obviously hand dug because it was just big, round well. And we we pull, I was standing there, and, and my brother looked at me. And he said, "What are you standing on? You're kind of sagging." I said, "I don't know. Just a bunch of." Just a bunch of, uh, of vines or something. He said, he said, you better step back. So I stepped back. We pulled the vines away, discovered this old well. So we pulled it all off and we thought, well, we ought to tell everybody in the neighborhood that this is here. So we told everybody that, that was on that, that road, that old dirt road there, uh, that, that this well was here and to be careful. And then we planned to cover it up. So my mom came and uh, my, uh, my dog, Charcoal Shindo, to shake She was standing on one side of the well. My mom was on the other side of the well. And she looked up and she thought, I think I'd like to go stand over next to her. (laughs) So rather than walking around the well, she walked straight towards the well. And it was kind of like, you know, one of those moments where just everything goes in slow motion and she just kind of, you know, like those of you who remember, you know, Steve Austin, right? Just kind of, "Eh, eh, eh," you know, you know what I'm talking about. Very few of you know exactly what that reference is, but... $6 $6 million man. Come on, people. Some of you all know. And so it looks, she's just kind of going chi, 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 into this well, and she goes down. It's about 25 feet, and I know because I, I spit and counted, you know, one, one thousand, two. Anyway, that's how we did it back then when we were 11, 12 years old. And so it was probably 25 to 30 feet down, and uh, just forget about the spit thing. All right, let's move on. So she's down there and she is swimming around and around and around and around. And, and we think she's just going to exa- get exhausted and that's going to be the end of charcoal shendo to shake. So we're, we're standing there, we're nervous. I thought, well, let's get a. Bu-. So I, we go get this big bucket um, and we throw it down there, missed her, and uh, but, you know, didn't hit her in the head. And it fills up with water. And then, you know, it's probably about. 7,000 pounds at that point, so we tried to scoop her, and that was dumb, so we had to let go of that rope and everything, and somebody came with a, a, a stepladder about this tall, and I thought, what, what are you, th- you're as dumb as my dog, all right, you know, I mean, what are you thinking, you know, so, so and then all of a sudden, this, um, this green pickup truck comes along, to this day, I have no idea, I'd never seen this guy before, never, never saw him afterwards, green, old green pickup truck, he gets out, and he's kind of a rickety old guy, he's just kind of shuffling along, he goes to the back, uh, and he pulls out this uh, life jacket and, and rope, and he walks up to me, and he says, you look like the man for the job, <laughs> scared the living daylights out of me, I thought, what are you talking about, he puts this thing on me, and, and lowers me down into the well, all right, so I'm, I'm getting low. in this huge opening, it looks like it's about the size of a dime now, I'm about halfway down, I'm looking at this thing, I'm down in there. And, and you, know, you know, when you go down deep into a hole, you know, you can see the stars. Did you, you, you know that? I mean, I could, it was deep enough where I could see it was, it, I could see the stars. And I was scared because I'm right above this old, you know, the, the surface of this water. And I'm thinking, can I grab her with my feet? You know, I'm trying to grab her. It's not working. So I realized I have to get down all the way down into this muck with her in order to get her, Right? And, and and I realize at that point I'm thinking I don't want to do this, but there's only one way that I'm going to be able to to save her is is to get down in it with her, right? Even though I, I don't really know what it's going to be like because I've never been down in a antebellum ancient well before and in, in up to my neck, right? And so I get down in that into that water and even though I don't really want to I do it and I want to because I love my dog but I don't want to because of what it means for me and I I grab her and you know she she had not been shaved and you know like these these dogs these uh, these, these standard poodles are like sheep right you know, so i <laughs> mean in a lot of ways but you know their their fur is she's like a big sponge, right? So she is really, really heavy, right? So I'm just, they're pulling me out, and they're pulling me and pulling me, in and, and we finally get the dog, and they grab her by the scruff of the neck and pull her on out, and, and she's she's saved. And it's always been for me a picture of what, what Christ has done for us, not just, just sort of waving some kind of wand over our lives and saying, okay, you're all better, but demonstrating a love for us that says, I'm going to get down there with you. And, and, and so you, you know that. And you know that on Easter. And, and you know that once upon a time when you received it. Or when you prayed some prayer. Or when you realized that you had this need. But do you know it tomorrow? Do you know how much we continue to need? And how much his provision cost him? not so that we would feel shame and guilt, but so that we would feel gratitude. Gratitude. That kind of picture, that kind of recognition of what he's provided for us, realizing that it is a real need that we as human beings actually have to be able to build our character, to be able to have the kind of character that can live in eternity with God. When we realize that need is real, you see, that does change a heart. It does change us. It's sufficient to make us responsive to him. It's sufficient. He put his spirit in us. When we stop trying to swim around for ourselves and try to rescue ourselves, when we recognize that we have a need that we cannot meet, God does touch our lives in a way that does change us. Humility. Humility. Humility to receive. And second is this, second is this. Grace drives us then by the gratitude that we have. You're you're there, you're picturing this, right? I mean, you realize you have a need and that you've received us and that, that received him, right? You stop, you cease striving and know that he is God, right? By grace you are saved through faith, not by anything that you've done. But here's what happens next. The gratitude that that comes, that, that wells up in us, the gratitude from what he has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that gratitude gives us a drive. Gratitude drives. Gratitude becomes the motivating force of our lives. It becomes a driver for us. We're no longer running away from our past. We're running towards something that we've been invited to. You see, somebody said that, you know, that if, if, if you're still running from your past, it's not yet your past. If you're still driven from something, you don't have a past yet. You, you still have a present. What's driving you, if it's behind you, is not your past. But God is, is giving us, He's trying to give us a future, you see? And so if we know that we're being driven towards something, If we're driven by gratitude, then we can read these verses again in a whole new light. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Submit yourself to the Lord. Humble yourself before him, and he will raise you up. And you don't feel a sense of shame. You don't feel a sense of guilt. What you feel is an invitation, and by gratitude, we respond. That's the power of the Christian life. That's what is the, is the driving force. It, it's what's the, the little nuclear power plant of your life is gratitude. See, grace saves, but grace drives. Grace is powerful. It's a little like this. if, if let's just say a, a, a child breaks something, right, breaks a lamp. It's an accident, just you know just clumsy, break, knocks over a lamp. There are three things that, that a parent can do. One is, is that the parent can clean up the lamp, right? Clean up those pieces and say, you sit there in shame, right? You sit there in and, and, and shame and watch me clean this up. Well, the second thing is that a parent can say, you, you clean this up. You're guilty. You clean this up. Both those things are motivating, aren't they? They're both motivating. Shame is powerful. Guilt is powerful and destructive destructive in the life of a child destructive in the human heart yeah it drives i mean we can do all kinds of things here at at, at church to try to get stuff out of you right that runs a very short distance right i want you to do something oh here comes tim he's going to ask me to do something I don't want you to feel that way. I, I don't want you to feel that way. Here comes Tim. M- maybe there's something he might introduce to me that, that can bring me into what God is doing in the world. That's, that's the ideal. That's what we're going for. Right? And so the third thing a parent can do is, is get down there and say, I'm going to clean this up with you. I'm going to help you. And it's okay, you didn't mean to, but we're, we've got to make it right. And so the invitation here from from James is to be responsive to his spirit that he's already put in us. But by grace, we have an invitation to participate in what he's doing. You see? It's not just that... he renders us passive and we're just a wet noodle. You know, he's just, you know God is going to do it. He's going to do the rest of my life. He's just going to, whatever, whatever's going to be valuable in, in, in my character, He's just going to do it. I'm just going to sit here. No, by grace, He gives us an invitation to participate. That's what this table is. It's an invitation to participate, to put ourselves in a place where the means of grace, whether it's obedience, whether it's giving, whether it's studying the scripture, whether it's serving him, whether it's just simply being kind to somebody who's been ugly to you, all of these are not driven from but driven towards a promise that he's building you into a temple in which he is pleased to dwell.